while they are working their way to their classes, um, I'm going to introduce a testimony video that uh, we're going to show. Um, this is something we started here a few months back where we've asked members of our leadership to kind of share the way God has worked in their life um, because we think that it's great to hear those stories. Um, also, we would like people to get to know the people that like hold leadership positions in our body better too. So this morning, um, Ginger Doden has spent some time with Matt recording her testimony. Ginger is the wife of one of our elders, Bill Doden. Uh, she served as a deaconess on our church board for as long as I've been here, which is almost 15 years and probably before that. Uh, she's been very faithful as a treasurer and a lot of other roles as well. And we appreciate Ginger a lot. So take it away, Ginger. My name is Ginger Doden, and this is my story. I, I work full-time at a CPA firm doing accounting and taxes, and as stressful as it can be, I love what I do. As a Christian, you want to be able to look backwards to a certain extent and see that you've changed and see that God is increasing in your life. And indeed he has. I came from a small farm town in Western Kansas and grew up in the Catholic Church and had a family that was very dedicated to going to church and that is the foundation upon which my faith started. And I am forever grateful for that. Um, I went away to college. I played the part of trying to fit in, in all the wrong ways, in all the wrong places. That's a part of my life I don't talk about a lot because it's embarrassing. I had a gentleman that I got to know in college. He never pushed anything on me. He was never very pushy, he was always there. He finally introduced me to coming to the church that he went to. And I had never been in a church like that. And from that time forward, I went to church off and on. And over time, and a lot of mistakes, I figured out that God is what I was looking for and I was baptized. And then God did one of the most wonderful things in my entire life, and he introduced me to my husband. And I, I thank God every day for that. He, he helped me spiritually. He mentored me. He works with me even today. You have events that happen in your life that they're just kind of burned into your memory and you remember them like they happened yesterday. And one of those events was a business venture that my husband was involved with. And long story short, it went awry. We nearly lost everything and it was devastating. But God never left us. He was always there and he came through and there were days where we weren't sure how a water bill was gonna get paid. And the day that it was due, we got a check in the mail that was three cents short of the water bill. And it happened around Christmas time when things came to a head and it got the worst. 
and we had an envelope with a Christmas card with money in it that said, make sure your son has Christmas. And the, the other thing that just stands out in my mind was an, an event over several months with our son. Um, he had been, had been sick a few different times and, and had been to several doctors. and No one could figure out really what was wrong. And then um, his, would have been his sophomore year of college, he had a really bad episode and ended up in the hospital. And they ran some tests and the day before Christmas told us that our son had Hodgkin's lymphoma. As a parent, it's one of the worst things that you can hear is that your child has something that they're gonna have to suffer from and there's nothing you can do. When we got to the Mayo Clinic, they could not find one single sign of what the doctors had found. It was gone, completely gone. And they were completely baffled, could not figure out what was going on. And a few months later, we were at KU and they figured out that he had a disorder in his blood vessels. And they couldn't even give it a name because it's so rare. And to this day, he still has it, but it's under control with medication. He lives a normal life. He has four children. He has a wife. They have a wonderful life together and are going through life. And I would say God more than answered my prayer. God is always there. He will always be there for you. It doesn't matter how good you are, how good you're not, what you've done or what you've not done. Hold strong. And no matter what you're going through or where you're at in life, it's never, ever too late to come back to God. And He has never left you and He never will. You haven't seen that, have you, Bill? Okay, okay. First time. Oh, I appreciate Ginger, and, and, and I appreciate testimony. I, I really believe it would be worth it a Sunday that we just set aside a time for people to share testimonies. You know, part of our worship, it's wonderful to sing songs, but I believe a testimony is, is your song just giving praise to God, right? Here's what he's doing. Here's what he's done in my life. And uh, I, I think it is a worthy time to set aside. So if you think that is, let me know. Uh, maybe we could work that out sometime to just uh, be able to, to open that up and have testimonies. We want to have more of those. It is, it is an opportunity to give God praise for his work, uh, what's happening in, in your life. Uh, happy Mother's Day to, to you ladies this morning. I kept asking at the door, are you hearing that from your family? And so everybody, uh, all you ladies responded uh, positively. They're treating you well, and we hope and pray that when you get home, uh, your husband doesn't say, what's for dinner? Okay? <laughs> so guys, I hope you have that planned out, and they don't have to tarry in the, in the uh, uh, 
uh, kitchen at all. Anyway, uh, we love you ladies. You are important. God has given you the privilege of, of being mothers. So we pray. We pray for the mothers. We pray for those who are looking forward to be mothers someday. And, and just really, it, it is a worthy prayer to, to say, God, we praise you uh, for moms and, and for our ladies. Uh, if, if this is the first time that you're with us today, we've been working through the book of Acts. Wow, what an important book. It is the history of the church. Actually, it's a history of the beginnings of the church, right? And, and what we see so far is such a great beginning. We see, uh, you know, there in chapter 2 where, where God sent his Holy Spirit and, and the beginning of the church is marked with, you know, wonders and signs. Uh, some of those committed through the, uh, the apostles. And, and through the wonders and signs, uh, the people uh, have their attention set upon this message of the gospel. So Peter is preaching to people who are attentive. They're listening. And they, uh, by, by thousands, they are receiving Christ. That's what we see here in the beginning. Matter of fact, good things are happening, happening because of it. Not just that salvation, but, but amongst all those who are added, this is what we heard last week, there's a generosity working within the body. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of people. There are people who, who are coming to Christ in poverty, and there are people who are coming uh, who have an abundance and, and the, the particular phrase that we hear a couple of times is, they had all things in common. What that meant was they were sharing. For those who, who did not have, they were be, their needs were being supplied through the church. And, and last week we saw through that generosity, some of those who had an abundance of, of belongings... Uh, they were taking some of their, their property or their homes and they were selling it, bringing the proceeds and laying it at the apostles' feet and, and it was being distributed to those who had need. It, it, was, it, was at, it was not under law or any kind of compulsion that way. It was just because of the grace that God had given them through Christ. It affected them. It changed their world. Uh, matter of fact, in the last two verses of chapter 4, the last two chapters of uh, verse four, or chapter four, it, it refers to a guy named uh, uh, Joseph, who who had received this name Barnabas, uh, son of encouragement. He specifically he had sold a, a piece of property he had and brought it before the apostles and laid it at their at their feet. The reason that's brought up is because it is really uh, you know. Uh, contrary to the story we're going to hear today. It, it, it comes in conflict with the story we hear today. And so we're looking at chapter 5 and, and the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 5. That's where we are. Um, and, and all these wonderful things that's been taking place in the church, uh, even, even there's persecution or uh, the, the, the religious leaders are upset with them, bring them in, they're questioning them, and they're telling them, you know, you're not telling anybody and, and there is, there is, that's really not a problem for the church. Uh, they said they, they spoke to them. They responded with boldness. They weren't afraid of the leadership. But in the next 11 verses in chapter 5, what we're about to read, the response of the church in this story is, is, is great fear. We're actually going to see that twice repeated 
in verses 1 through 11, that there becomes great fear in the church because of what we're about to read. All right, let's, let's begin verse 1. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Verse 11, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Before we dive into this, I, I do want to take that time just to go before God and ask him to lead us through this passage. Let's, let's do that. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you. Uh, God, we, we thank you for all that you've given to us. We praise you today for your word that tells us of, of Christ and his coming, his death, his resurrection. We praise you for the giving of your Holy Spirit. We praise you for your word that we have, that we could put in our hands, that we could read uh, uh, ourselves and take it in. And, and Lord, all that having a, its effect upon us. Uh, we want to be your children, and we want to, want to grow. So Jesus, your Holy Spirit and the Scriptures and this church, Lord, uh, all that works together to help us to become uh, your people as we grow into the grace and mercy that you've given us. God, we pray today you lead us and guide us with these words. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. This is really, you know, we see God already active in the church in, in some wonderful ways, some, some exciting ways. His involvement today, I, I would even call it a miraculous tragedy, what takes place. Uh, this is the kind of story that, that you wouldn't want to have recorded. What's Luke thinking? Shouldn't, shouldn't uh, uh, Luke be just put, looking to put the exciting stories in the book of Acts? But, but nowhere does the Bible do that. Nowhere does the Bible just produce the wonderful stories of God's actions and the blessings and things like that. We know that in the Old Testament, and we know that in the true as well. Uh, we know that, that in, his, in his nation before, there were blemishes and disappointments and, and absolute tragedy that took place. And the same thing happens in the New Testament. 
here, even here in the beginnings of the church. The church had great fear. That, that, that just sounds, I mean, if we were afraid of something today, you know, we would think that that's not right. It shouldn't be that way. But the truth is, there's something healthy about fear. There's something really healthy. Moms, you want your kids to be afraid of fire, right? You want your kids to be afraid of fire. You want your kids to be afraid of electricity. You don't want them to take the butter knife and stick it in those sockets. That's why you put those little plastic things in there, right? You, you, you don't want them sticking their, their knives and forks in. You want them to be afraid of some things. And Kansans, we should be afraid of tornadoes. That means when the tornado sirens go off, you don't go outside and look for them. You're supposed to go take shelter, right? I, I know this. We, we ought to be afraid, right? There, there is something healthy to fear. And this morning, when we, when we come upon this chapter 5 in this story, we, we as people of God ought to have a healthy fear of God. There ought to be a healthy fear of God. And that's what I'd like to, to, to especially look at today. There, there is a response to this story for the church. And we, we need to be aware of that response. Uh, there are some things that we need to be aware of, and here they are. First of all, we need to be aware that God is holy and he cannot tolerate sin. We've known that, right? God is holy and he cannot tolerate sin. Uh, what we see in the book of Acts what we've been looking at is the very beginnings of the church. And, and this event is, is within God's salvation history. It's, it is, it's a major part of God's salvation history. The coming of Christ. We, we look all throughout that long Old Testament. God had, had that great purpose of bringing about a Savior. And he comes in Jesus, dies upon the cross. And the change that we say, see taking place at the beginning of the church is we are no longer under the law of the Old Testament. That's not our salvation. We're no longer under having to be absolutely obedient to, to God's law. But what we're under now is under the grace and mercy that he's presented us through the death of Jesus. Amen, right? It, it is excellent what God has given us in Jesus Christ. I have heard some people uh, tell me that what they see when they look at the Bible is two gods. There's the God of the Old Testament and God of the New, the New Testament. And, and, and because, you know, the God of the Old Testament, man, he's a God of judgment. And he's God who brings down his judgment upon people. I mean, the flood and, and even some, some uh, individual circumstances. They see act, God acting there. But what we see is this glorious grace in the New Testament, the coming of Jesus and the freedom from sin. But I'll, I'll tell you, that is not true. It's not so. God has not changed. Old Testament, New Testament, what, what you perceive in, in the Old Testament, uh, not only is there his judgment, but there is also absolute evidence of his mercy and grace in the Old Testament. It, it, it is working. God is the same. He's the God, God, he, our God is the God of yesterday, today, and forever. And he, is, he consistently is the same. God has not softened his position on sin. That, that's not what's happening in the book of Acts and, and in Christ's coming. He does not, matter of fact, uh, if God were able to soften his position, there was no, no reason for Jesus to die upon the cross. 
It absolutely is because of his holiness that, that Jesus had to come, had to pay that penalty for our sin. Let's look at this story of Ananias and Sapphira, looking at the first two verses. Uh, in there it says that Ananias and his wife, they purchased this property. And, and along with her, her knowledge of what he was doing, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds. That, that word that's translated, kept back for it, itself, I, it doesn't matter what version. I looked at all kinds of versions. All of them use some form of that kept back for himself. Kept or, or had you know, it, that idea of keeping back something for himself is an excellent use of that word. That same word also means that, that, that em, or embezzlement, to embezzle, to pilfer. Uh, what he did was to embezzle uh, what was intended, what he intended to give wholly uh, before the apostles to distribute to others. The, the sin that took place uh, for Ananias and Sapphira was the fact that, that they sold this prop, properly with the intention of, of giving it all. Instead, he kept back a portion of it. And, and, and then when he presented it, he presented it with this appearance that it was the whole amount that he was giving. Now, this really has ties with a story in the Old Testament that you might be familiar with. It's about a man named Achan. A man named Achan. Achan, uh, the, the story actually takes place in Joshua 6 and 7, if you want to look at it later. Chapter 6, it's, it's the taking, you know, children of Israel have come into the promised land, and, and they take down their first city of Jericho. Before they do it, there's specific instructions that everything is dedicated. It's dedicated to destruction or, or the precious things like gold and silver and other things like that was to be dedicated to the Lord. And, and so the, the conquest of, of, of Jericho took place and, and then there was trouble amongst Israel because Achan had, it says in the scripture, had kept for himself some of those items. He buried it in his tent, and it caused trouble for all Israel. The sin is the same. Matter of fact, the word used in Acts is the same word in the Septuagint, the Greek version, uh, translated version of, of the Old Testament. It has the exact same. And man, there's similarities in the story. Here's the beginnings of Israel in the promised land. And early on, the sin is found out, and, and all of Israel is called to stone uh, Achan and his whole family for the sin. And, and we see God's wrath coming down upon Ananias and Sapphira, uh, taking them out early in this, in, at the beginnings of the church. Now, I look at this, and I think, um, I'm, 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 oh, maybe you're with me on this. I don't know of any instance that happens like this today. I've been in church a long time. I don't know anybody who's been confronted by their sinfulness and then they drop dead. Any, anybody familiar with something? I'm, I'm glad for the reason that I think there's some sinfulness that goes on that we would have some dead people after services to pick up after. Are, are, you understand that? 
whether here or somewhere else, there's a good possibility some of us would drop dead if God acted on his judgment as he did with Ananias and Sapphira. The truth is this, that the miraculous death of Ananias and Sapphira foreshadows the judgment to come. Because it it doesn't happen today. It was something that happened within the church that gave a a clear signal, don't forget about God's holiness. Jesus died to remove your sinfulness. Don't forget that God is holy and cannot, cannot absorb or cannot be around your sinfulness. Matter of fact, I, I got to say, God's act of judgment for sin is death. His action for sin is death. God is lethal for sinners. Absolutely is. Does that not tell us about the great mercy of God and the fact that you and I were able to walk here and participate in worshiping him this morning? God is holy and he cannot be around this sinfulness. He has a disdain for sin. So we need to remember, first of all, that God is holy and he cannot tolerate sin. Second thing that we need to be aware of is that, that Satan is actively enticing God's people to sin. Satan is actively enticing, and it is God's people to sin. He's enticing. The threat of Satan's attacks is real for every believer. We're all susceptible to this. Uh, and, and, and it needs to be said, because I'm sure that there are some who, who make this commentary, and they think, well, Ananias and Sapphira really did not make that connection with Christ. Uh, that perhaps they weren't really a part uh, of the body of Christ, and they were just faking it. But there's evidence within the Scripture that, doesn't, that says it's not so. They offended the Holy Spirit. People were not perfect within the church. In, in the book of Acts, if we continue looking, there are some, some times where, where uh, people need to be corrected. We know from Paul's letters and, and even from uh, Peter and, and John and others who write these letters that there's a need for correction. Why? Because we're not perfect. We, we look at it and say, hey, the Savior we've been given, he's perfect, right? The Holy Spirit that we are gifted with, he's perfect. The salvation that we've been given, that is perfect. It is exactly what you and I need, that, that death of Jesus and his resurrection. That grace that God is, is exactly what we need. Now, we are a people called then to holiness and righteousness, and, and we, are, we are gracefully given the opportunity to grow into it, to learn it, to, to continue to, to wrestle with the flesh that we have to continue to wrestle and, and, and face that. Matter of fact, let's get back to Satan. Satan is active in knowing that. His means of attack is deception. Uh, in, in 1 Peter 5.8, Peter puts it beautifully. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls, ar- prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour that's, that's not the unsaved. That's, that's the church. He is active, working in your life, enticing 
and, and, and bringing about uh, the things that's going to draw you away from God. Satan deceptively dangles before us the things that appeal to our flesh, your appetites, your desires. Through wealth and possessions, he draws on your greed. With images we see every day, he looks to fan the flame of lust. With the very things of creation, he entices us into gluttony. Mine, mine, mine. With divisive issues of our day and even our differences, he looks to entangle us with pride. Every, so many areas that, that he knows exactly what needs to be dangled in front of you to whisper in your ear, to draw you away uh, from God. In verse 3, Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? A whole, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, Satan was very much at work upon Ananias. Ananias had the choice to, to uh, turn his back on, on, on the temptation, but he did not. He did not. They committed the property to be given. Thinking a little bit through this story, he committed the property. Is it possible, and, and it is possible that, that they committed, well, let's sell this property and planned it all out from the get-go. You know, hey, let's do this, let's keep it, and then we could go present it. That could have been part of his heart. In my own mind, I see them selling the property with good intentions, I, we're, we want to be a part of this. We have some property. Let's sell that property. And as he had the money in his hand, I believe that's when the whispering began. I, I, I see Satan saying, man, you could use a part of that. That would be helpful to, to moving forward in, in some direction that I've got some future use for. So I'm going to take a portion of that. I'm going to stick it in my back pocket. And, and then he gave this appearance. Whether there was a, a decision that was made in front of the apostles, he said, hey, I'm going to go sell my property, and I'm going to give you the proceeds from that. It could have been something already committed. But when Ananias came, he only gave a portion of it to give an appearance, to make it look like he gave it all. It was this, this thing of pilfering and all that, the bottom line, it was deceptive. And, and, and Peter made it real clear. He said, you're not lying to us. You're not lying to, to the apostles. You're not lying to the church. You're lying to God. You're lying to God. The warning is this, that, that we still, I mean, Satan still is active today. We know it. We need to watch out that the devil doesn't enter your heart that you're not listening to his voice and being drawn away. James chapter 4, verse 7, uh, just says something that we ought to be active in doing. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. I, I believe that's the Christian's life. That is the Christian's life. Submitting our lives to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resisting the devil. That means when that voice, when that uh, drawing or that temptation comes upon you, it is to turn your back upon uh, the, the temptation you're receiving. Matter of fact, if we remember, part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. When those appetites are being, you know, those appetites are being drawn upon, those desires are being enticed 
We need to be aware of it. Again, what he says, watch, you know, submit yourselves therefore to God. But we need to be aware that Satan is busy. How do we resist him? Well, it is self-control. It is the ability to be able to say, no, I, I'm done with that. I'm not going to take that. I, I do believe that, that, man, ultimately what we're doing when we receive Christ is say, man, I'm surrendering my all. I'm, I'm giving myself. Jesus said, take up your cross, follow me. It really is evidence of, of part of what a disciple of Christ is doing. We're following after him, giving up everything for him, just turning it all over to him. And, and what does Satan do but say, hey, keep back some of this. Keep back some of this. It really is a continued temptation that we, that we have. And we ought to look with all that we have to, to say, how is it that I, that I got to use this for the kingdom? Ananias and Sapphira had that opportunity, sold the property, gave it for the poor in their congregation to be, to be used for that, and they failed. They failed. They turned their back upon God, and they sinned. And God acted with his judgment. There is a final point that I want to make this morning. Uh, we must live honestly before God. We are to live honestly before God. I, th I think that's the point. When the church sits down and reads this or remembers this story and thinks about this, each of these points are important. And, and one of the things we ought to draw out of it, we need to be honest and never deceitful. Why did they lie? Why, why did they lie? In verse 4, Peter, Peter identifies clearly, he says, hey, while it remained and sold, did it not remain your own? This was yours. This was your decision. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? You could do with what you want with this. Uh, I, very much what they could have decided to do is that we're going to sell this property, and what we're going to do is, is we're going to bring a, a portion of it and, and lay it at your feet. We're, we're going to give a portion of it. Would that have been fine? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're, we're, gonna, we're deciding to just give a portion of this. We need the other part for this. They could have made that decision. But the declaration of, hey, we're going to give it all, and then to come with the appearance of, here's, here's, here it is, here, here's all of it, was really the sin that they committed before the Holy Spirit. Oh, man, I think we're guilty of this sometimes that we think this is a place where we keep up appearances. <laughs> I'm going to act like a Christian. I'm going to act like a Christian. When I'm here, man, uh, it is a, kind of a different world than all the rest of the week. Maybe we conduct ourselves in a certain way and continue in our sinfulness during the week. But when we're here, we want to keep up appearances. Jesus didn't call us to make an appearance or to, to make it look like we're following after Jesus. Any, anybody, we, we know that, right? We're not called to act like we know Jesus. We are to know him. We are to follow him. And we are to live for him, not act like we live for him. That's a hard message, isn't it? It is a valuable 
message that the church needed to know early on. I believe it's a valuable, absolute valuable message that we need to hear today. I am thankful that Luke recorded this story, and, and I'm not going to skip over it. Because amongst other messages, this is one of the most important. We are to be genuine before God. We, we are to be truthful before Him. I, I'm reminded of a passage, 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Listen carefully what he says. Instruction for us. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's not who we are. We're not a people who walk in darkness any longer. We belong to Jesus. Everybody, if you committed your life to Christ, you belong to Him. There is no more darkness. There is no more pursuit of the things of this world. And, and if we do, then we're living a lie. We're living in deceitfulness. And the truth isn't working in us. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Isn't that weird? <laughs> I, I would completely think it would go somewhere else. But what it says is that if we're living the genuine life, the humble life of, of identifying and confessing our sins, making them known, then we have that kind of fellowship that we can't create any other way. It's a fellowship that comes from God. And that fellowship comes in honesty. Confessing our sins, uh, being able to confess or, or, or live that truth. Uh, and then it says, and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That confessing of sins actually comes in verse 9. Let me read that for you. If we are walking in darkness, if, man, we're holding on or taking back a part of something in our life we just can't let go of, then, then there's no truth. But here's what he says in 9. This is encouraging. He says, if we confess with our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's sweet. That's sweet. Absolutely, we need to know that our God is a holy and righteous God. And he's given us provisions to rid ourselves of the darkness, of the sinfulness, of the corruption within us because of our sinfulness. That, that we're not going to face his judgment, his death. That's, that's why we worship, that's why we celebrate. But that is also why we're people who are involved in confession, uh, who, who come before him and repent. Let me tell you a little bit about confession. Confession, it is something you could do personally. I do it all week long. I come over here and part of my prayer time, I continue, even if I don't know, man, did I do, make me aware is part of my prayer. God, you know, let the Holy Spirit make aware of some sinfulness that I'm conducting in my life. I don't want to be sinful. And the things I am aware of, I'm laying it before him. And there are those times in my life that I've had to, to confess it to to people, to groups, large groups, and, and to individuals, and it is healthy. I know that makes you sure, oh, I don't want to go up and speak about all, all my sinfulness, but it is absolutely health, healthy to do that, and I believe it's necessary. I'll, I'll, I'll share with you, I've got enough time uh, that, that there was a, a sin working in my life, actually worked in my life a long time ago, long time ago, 
And, and it, you know, in, in my prayer life, it continued to come up into my head. I thought, I asked forgiveness. For, I really did. I asked forgiveness for it. And, and then I even began to talk to people about it. I, I shared with some of my closest friends, man, this is a sin I committed. I talked to Daryl Boston about it. Daryl Boston was my predecessor, a preacher, and I went to him and I said, man, I, I just want to let you know this is a sin I committed some years ago. And, and, and he, he just said, man, that's, you know, I appreciate you sharing that with me. And so we prayed, and, and I, I felt like that was enough. My sins continued, my sin, that specific sin, continued to hinder my prayers. I, it kept coming up. Why is it coming up? It was either Satan was using it as fodder, you know, he continued to use it saying, you're guilty, or, or maybe it was the Holy Spirit saying, you need to take care, you need to go to the source. Finally, one day, instead of deciding, well, I'm going to travel there, I just picked up the phone. I said, enough of this. And I called, and, and that day, I just told him on the phone, I said, man, here is my sinfulness. I can't tell you the amazing weight that just absolutely dropped off my shoulders. And my prayers unhindered. No more reminder of that sin in my, in my head. It's something that I just absolutely needed to confess. So when you look at this, if we confess our sins, it, it might be that simple sin of going, you know, that, that we need to take before God in, in prayer alone. Or maybe we need to take some people really close to us. Or it might be that we need to go to the, where we've actually laid out the offense. Who knows? I think God directs you. He definitely directed me and how to deal with that confession. And I think it's important, oh man, when, when the scripture says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, then he forgives us our sins. I want us all to be a part of knowing what it is that that sin is no longer hanging around my neck. It's no longer a burden. I left it behind. That's exactly why Jesus died upon the cross. Is so the corruption of his judgment, the, the, I mean the condemnation of his judgment, the corruption of your sinfulness is gone. And Jesus, absolutely, you know he is the one who saves. We ought to say together, we are sinful people. That's exactly who we are. We're, that's our identity. We're sinful people. And oh man, we are here to praise God today because Jesus died and took our sins, uh, the sins that we deserve to die for, and he's covered them. He, we've been cleansed from that sinfulness. That's why we worship. There's a reason that's why our hearts are lifted is because he's done it all. And we're all, we have all that in common. We're sinful people in need of Jesus. He's our Savior, and, and man, we get to worship him. We must have a healthy, do you understand that? We must have a healthy uh, fear of God, or, or we'll call it reverence for God, respect for God, because I do believe he's lethal when it comes to say Someday, there's going, everyone, uh, no one's going to escape. It, there is no hidden sin that we can protect and, and continue to live into. God is going to identify it, and someday uh, he, he's going to bring down his judgment. This action today is evidence of a foreshadow of what is coming. Understand that. So be careful. What do we do about it? God is holy and cannot tolerate sin. He is holy and cannot tolerate sin. We cannot continue in it. Satan is actively enticing God's people to sin. He's working on us. 
Are you familiar with that voice? He's calling, he, he's luring, and we need to learn how to stand up against him. Resist him, and he'll flee from you, is the scripture. And we need to live honestly before God. Live honestly before God. Live in the light as he is in the light. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you for your word. Lord, I, I have the opportunity to pray before this congregation, all those folks who come in, all those who are seated. Father, we, uh, we have confidence in what Jesus has done. What he's done for us is perfect. And your Holy Spirit, we give you praise for that gift. And we praise you for the salvation that we provided. Lord, he gives us so many reasons to just uh, to, to, to say hallelujah and to, and to direct our praises to you. But Father, at the same time, I pray that your Holy Spirit is directing and guiding our lives and that we're not being dishonest with him. We're not taking back those things of this world, those things of sinfulness into our lives that, that we are we are confessing those sins. And Lord, even, even that place where we're really struggling, finding those people who help support us and encourage us, Lord, help us to live that honesty, that genuineness of being your children, of being identified as your people, cleansed through the blood of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your gifts. We thank you always for your word. Lead us and guide us today in, in the action and the activity of, of growing in the holiness and the righteousness you've called us to through Jesus. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.